sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs and Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Imagine the difficulty of this young couple. Having traveled over a great distance, they find themselves out on the street, exhausted, discouraged, nerves on edge, and hope running thin. Were they wondering if God was going to pull them through this? But God does, doesn't he? And probably in a way they never expected. Perhaps God will do this for you this Christmas, pull you through that hard time in a way that you never expected. Let us pray. Lord God, you know it's hard for us to imagine Mary and Joseph as discouraged parents. But you know that discouragement follows us all. We ask it that this Christmas you give us a full blessing of hope that Jesus Christ promised us. Amen. Thank you, Sarab family. Would you guys stand with me, please? For those of you who worship with us on a regular basis, you know I'm quite notorious for what I'm about to do. You know that I'm going to ask you to do something and ask somebody a question. So, what I want you to do is I want you to go to somebody that you haven't met yet today or haven't talked to, and I want you to ask them this one question. What is one of the words that you use 
a lot that sometimes just doesn't really apply in a sentence. Okay? For example, all right, for some of you teenagers, this will relate home, you may say that my parents are cool. (laughs) But in reality, you realize, I don't mean to use that in a sentence, but I'd rather say that my Converse sneakers are cool. So what I want you to do is I want you to find somebody and tell them and say, the word that you use on a regular basis, but a lot of times you use it out of context, that when you put it in a sentence, it just doesn't make sense. All right? Go. I know that that was kind of a hard thing to ask. I just want to get your brain going because I'm going to give you a few examples. You know, it's funny because um, my wife and I, we have a two and a half year old daughter. And those of you who are parents, you know that kids that age, they're like sponges, you know. And um, I was thinking about my daughter and... I was thinking about the words that she's picking up. And sometimes what we do is uh, we have uh, extra room in our house, and sometimes we have a friend of the family that comes over and stays, and she's a teenager, and uh, when her parents are out of town, she comes and hangs out with us. And you know how teenagers are sometimes. uh, They say some of the darndest things. And so this teenager in particular, it was kind of funny. She had said this one thing, and didn't realize it, but a few weeks later, we're all sitting around at the dinner table, and it's my daughter, my wife, and I, and we're sitting there, and we're eating, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my daughter just throws her hands up, and she says, I'm freaking out! (laughs) And my wife and I are, like, pretty much mortified at that point, and so we stop, and we look at each other, and we're like, do you say that? No. Do you say that? No. Where did she hear that? And I got to thinking about the, the innocence of her in saying it. And I thought about, you know, at such a young age, we learn about words. And we learn about words, and sometimes we don't even understand when we say those words what we really mean behind the word or what that word really entails. And I thought about the innocence of my daughter in that moment. She really didn't understand what she was saying. Young and she did, but, but uh, she really didn't understand what she was saying. And I thought about, wow, when she gets to be an older young teenager or older woman, I imagine she's probably going to look back on the day when we tell her that story and she's going to laugh because then she's going to understand what the words mean. And I think about this, how often as adults do we use words over and over and over, but a lot of times we don't think about what they mean or we forget about what they mean. For example, think about the time when you go to McDonald's and you get that Big Mac that meal deal, that value meal, and you get those medium-sized fries, those french fries, they're nice and warm and crispy, and you sprinkle that salt on the top. Getting hungry yet? I just want to remind you about our 40-day fast coming up. (laughs) And you dip it in the ketchup, and it tastes so good going down. And then from your mouth brings this joyous phrase that you say, man, these french fries are awesome. Basically, what you're saying is these french fries are awe-inspiring. Because that's what awesome means. Or think about this. You go to Old Navy and you get a new outfit. 
And you're telling all your friends, like, oh my goodness, I love this outfit. It's just so awesome. I love the t-shirt. I love the pants. I love the shoes. Oh my gosh, you know, you should see what else I got. I'm just so in love with this outfit from Old Navy. So basically what you're telling us is that you are sexually attracted with great intimacy to your outfit. Because that's what the word love means. When you look it up in a definition, that's one of those main definitions of the word love and what it means. I think about the word love, and I think about how maybe the question is, is it's become more overused, less meaning, because we love a lot of things. If we listen to ourselves and we listen to other people around us, we begin to discover that there are a lot of things in our life that we love. We love tacos. We love dogs. We love cats. We love hot dogs. We love hamburgers. We love cars. We love trucks. We love sports. We love our friends. We have our BFFs who we love. We have our spouses and we have our children that we love and our cousins and our aunts and our uncles. And yet at the same time, we love snow and we love rain and we love the sunshine and we love the beach and we love sand and we love a lot of things. But I think when it comes to that point where we just list a lot of what we love, we've lost the meaning or we've overused it. So the question is, is we've been journeying through this whole series called Advent's Conspiracy, as Pastor Jack talked about moments ago. Today we're going to try and discover what love is through the Word of God. So in this series, we've been talking about worshiping fully and how we can worship God fully and how we can spend less, and how we can give more. And today, we're going to talk about how we can love all. lose by my okay there we go all right so let me just um basically what what the whole video was about was about advent conspiracy but about love and it's talking about where has our love gone and what is our love but what i really like about this video is what the guy starts to talk about and go somewhere with this in a minute so listen to me he's this guy who begins to sing the song he's got the whole world in his hands how many of you heard that song He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, I can't believe I just sang that. But that's not the point. So he meets this guy who's singing this song. He's got the whole world in his hands. But he notices that the guy changes the lyrics. And instead of saying that he's got the whole world in his hands, the man begins to say, he's got the pimps and the prostitutes in his hands. He's got the homosexuals and the addictions in his hands. He's got the poor and the lost and the needy in his hands. He's got them all right there in his hands. And as I began to listen to that, I began to think about, wow, talk about 
really personalizing that song. And when I heard that, I got to thinking, well, what is love? If we're called to love all, what does love really mean according to the word of God? What, what is it? I mean, we all have our own opinions about love based on our own experiences in life, and then we build our understanding out of that and how people treated us or, or what people say to us, and then we put love in that, and then we say that's how we love people. But the Word of God talks a little bit differently about how we are to love people and to love others. And my question is, if we know how to love as followers of Jesus, much got this love thing down, then how can we love all better? And after I listened to that song, and I listened, and I listened, hello, go to a handheld. I will. Why don't you? Yeah. Why don't we just? Thank you. So I'm listening. You know what? Let's just stop a minute. Father God, in the name of Jesus. Father, we just take authority right now over this atmosphere. Father, we declare that this is your house, this is your time, this is your place. And Father, if we even have to speak without a microphone to get this message across today to to every single one of us, because this is an important message, we will do so. But Father, we're asking right now from this moment forward that there will be no technical difficulties, but we ask for peace to be in this place. We even ask for peace in the media and the sound room. And Father God, we just thank you right now for how you are going to shift our hearts, Father, during this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm serious about God's word. (laughs) I ain't messing around. So I'm listening to this song, and I get done listening to this song about this guy singing about God having the pimps and the prostitutes in his hands, and how he's loving the homosexual, and how he's loving the person who is fighting addiction, and who is under. And all of a sudden, I began to think, gosh, you know, maybe as followers of Jesus, we've been singing the correct song this whole time, but just not with the right lyrics. And I got to thinking about that, about how he has the whole world in his hands, about how it's personal and loving all. And so we're going to look in the Bible today and seek out what love means to Jesus and how he demonstrated that to us. And I believe that when we sing the song that Jesus sings, he's got the whole world in his hands with the right lyrics. I believe that we'll begin to realize that loving all is a radical lifestyle of personal denial. You know, honestly, when we picture the word love, we automatically begin to drum up ideas in our heads of romance and friends and spouses and our best friends forever. But how often when we really think about love, do we really associate that word with radical personal denial in our lives? It's not too often that we think about those things. I'm reminded of a follower of Jesus named John, a.k.a. the beloved disciple. He talks about this radical personal denial in 1 John as he's writing his letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And I want you to look with me this morning in 1 John 3, verse 16. Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. This is what John writes to the people of Asia Minor. He says, this is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. That's some pretty intense writings that John does that he writes and he pens down. Because what he says is that Christ Jesus sacrificed his life for all of mankind, every single one of us. He did it for the people, the pimps and the prostitutes. He did it for the, those who are addicted. He did it for those who are living a lifestyle of homosexuality. He did it for those that we just consider in our personal lives people we don't like. But we know that as followers of Jesus, we love everybody and we wouldn't ever consider hating anybody or not liking somebody. But Jesus died for all of them. But here's the clincher. John continues to write in this letter just a few sentences more and he takes it to the next level and he challenges the body of Christ and says this, just as Jesus has sacrificed his life for you, I'm now challenging you and calling you to sacrifice your life for all of those around you. That's pretty intense. And I have to be the first to admit that I'm pretty lousy at putting others first in my life. No, really, I'm being serious. So I want you to know that this message this morning is just for much as me as it is for you because when I was studying the scriptures, I was so convicted and I began to think through my mind of how much of a lousy individual I really am in sacrificing for other people. And that really, it's not at the top of my agenda every day. But I want to tell you that I wish I could stand here and say that I'm a radical follower of Christ. I want to be able to say that I'm a radical Christian, I'm on fire for Jesus, and I do all these radical things, and I'm 100% sacrificing, forgetting myself, never putting myself forward or giving myself the best, but that's not the truth. I also want to say that the body of Christ is radical but I question that too. And we're going to talk about that through the scriptures. But I want to tell you a radical story for a moment. I find this to be a radical story just because of how it played out. It started before the beginning of time where God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit create us. It says in Genesis that man was created in their image. He created us. But the problem was, is that sin had invaded this universe. And when sin is on the scene, Jesus can't be in the same place because he's holy. He's set apart. But there was this crux in the middle of this radical story because God and Jesus and Holy Spirit being three in one, I know sometimes I don't get it either, But they say to each other and they say, listen, we created man in our image. We are destined to be with them forever. But there's this problem. There is this thing right now between us called sin. And therefore, we need to do something about this. Now, some of you may have heard this story over and over. And for some of you today, this might be the first time you're hearing this. And this is really radical story here that I want you to hear. So God... Jesus and Holy Spirit say that somebody needs to die to eradicate the sin once and for all. Blood must be shed 
to take care of this problem of sin. So Jesus says, I will go, the Father's Son. And he says, I will die for all of mankind. I will die for all. And I will demonstrate my love for all by going to the cross. And so the radical way of doing this, instead of Jesus coming down in a chariot and with fire and adorned in gold and beautiful robes like the king that he should be adorned as, he chooses to come in a more radical way. And it says in the Gospels that he came and he was born of a woman. A woman gives birth to the Messiah. But then it gets a little more radical. It doesn't say in the Gospels that Jesus and Mary and Joseph were put up in the Hyatt. It doesn't say that God made room at the Marriott for them. It doesn't say that he was born with all the fine linens and that he was adorned with jewelry and given gold and all these things at his birth. It says that he was born in a manger. Even more radical is this, is that he was born among cow dung. He had nothing to his name but a cow stall, a trough, where probably with maybe a half hour ago the pigs ate. We don't know the fullness of detail, but that's a radical story. This king of glory comes and he's put into a pig trough. And this is the guy who's going to save us from our sin? And the world looks and they say, that little whiny kid in there, among all the stink and the filth, he's our king? (laughs) It's pretty radical. So the word says that he grows and he matures in his age. Around the age of 30, he begins to start what we categorize or call a ministry. He goes public. He starts to do things that people haven't seen before. Starts to lay his hands on the sick and they're made well. He gets so radical that he goes and grabs some mud and he spits into it and he rubs it on someone's eyes who's blind and then they see. It's radical. But in the midst of all of his radical living, he's gearing up for this one intense radical moment that changes the rest of history. And I'll talk to you about that in a few minutes. But our definition of love as followers of Jesus is found in his actions on the cross. His actions on the cross demonstrated total self-denial. He lived without limits. That's what it means to love all. Total self-denial and live without limits. And a lifestyle of self-denial always comes with requirements. If we read in the Gospels when people would come to Jesus, because at the time he was like the in guy, he was the rabbi, the teacher to follow. He had it going on. And so if you wanted to be a rabbi, you wanted to go with Jesus because this guy was the miracle worker. He was the one who knew the scriptures. I mean, that was the place to be. And we read account after account how people would come to Jesus and say, I want to follow you. 
And Jesus would make radical statements and he would be like, fine, come follow me, but I'll tell you the son of man has no place to lay his head. Basically saying, I got no house, I have no possessions, and if you really want to follow me, then come with me because it's going to be hard. If somebody else comes along and says, Jesus, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And then Jesus drops an even bigger one and he says, okay, fine. Deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Um, well, you know, yeah, I don't know. Uh, can I do that next week? And then it tells us in the Gospels further down, it says that somebody else comes to him and says, Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to live for you. But first, let me go bury my dad. Jesus takes another radical step and he says, let the dead go bury the dead. Come and follow me. That's one radical God. That is one radical requirement of self-denial in following Christ. And for followers of Jesus, loving all requires denial of material indulgence. If you think about it, all of those examples found in the gospel is Jesus simply saying, look, here's one of the requirements. If you want to follow me, you are going to have to come to a place of of denying material indulgence in your life. Because eventually none of those things are going to matter. The truth is, it's obvious we all have stuff, right? We all do. We go into our house, we have stuff. We buy it, we sell it, we insure it, we lay hold of it, we hide it, we keep it, we store it. We love it, we indulge in it, we all have stuff. On your outline there, author and senior pastor John Ortberg says this, People go through life, get stuff, and then they die, leaving their stuff behind. Now, how many of us think about that, that we live like that? How many of us think at the forefront of our mind of personal denial and sacrifice and say, man, it's a good thing that I've got all this stuff because when I die, I'm going to leave all this stuff. We don't ever think about that. We think about the moment. We live in the moment. And we grab things and we accumulate things. And before you know, we have so much stuff, we don't even know what to do with it. But this is what John says in verse 17. It applies to us as followers of Christ. He says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, get this, how can the love of God be in that person? What an intense question. So the question rises now as followers of Jesus is how can we know whether we would sacrifice for somebody in need? Well, John tells us that it's through our compassion in the present. It's about our compassion in the present need and not about us being comfortable. Several weeks ago, many of you have heard about my sister And her and her family and my sister is diagnosed with basically inoperable cancer. And so she's had to go through numerous tests and numerous surgeries. And because of this, she can't work. And so her employer at the time, they give her time off for specific things like that. And even while she's off, she's supposed to be getting paid. Well, we found out that she hadn't been getting paid. Her family hadn't been getting their paycheck for three straight weeks. Bills were backing up. 
The kids were paying for their school lunches because they had no groceries. They didn't want to tell us. They didn't want to tell their family because they were embarrassed. So my mom talked to my sister, and we found out that they were in pretty decent need of some things. So we made a couple phone calls, and my neighborhood gathered together. Some of my neighbors gathered together, and we all cleared out our pantries. We didn't care. We didn't care about what we had or what we were preparing that night. We didn't care. What we cared about was who was in need. And so we gathered grocery bags upon grocery bags of cereal and milk and food, you name it. And we went to the grocery store and we bought them more things, kids to have things for lunches. They have five children aside from them. And these kids are like billing up more and more and more on their, on their lunch tabs at school. And so that afternoon, I packed up our car. I went out to my sister's house. And I opened up the door, and so I walked through with three bags. And she's like, oh, my goodness, wow, this is such a prize. Thank you so much, you know, you know, uh, you know so humble. And they're like, wow, this will really help us out. And I didn't say a word. I just went back out to my car, and I come back in with three more bags. And she says, what are you doing? And I said, well, this is just the beginning. And she says, what? And it was so amazing because all the kids and my sister and her husband began to well up with tears in their eyes. And she was bringing out the cereal containers that they put their cereal in. And there was just like little bits of crumbs that was left. And she said, you know what? This is definitely God because she says, I don't even know what we were going to eat tonight. They had no potatoes. They had no bread in their house. It was about meeting the need in the moment. And you say, well, yeah, but that's your sister. Of course you'd go to that great length. No, that's not because it's my sister. It's because we are called to love all. If it was anybody that called and said, hey, so-and-so is in need of this, we would have rallied the community to make sure it gets done. Because that is loving all. That's what John tells us in verse 17 here. If we can't sacrifice what we have for others in need, then we have to ask ourselves the question, is the love of God really prevalent within us? Moments ago, Pastor Jack talked about how we are going to have an incredible opportunity to invest into the lives. In fact, I have the number for you. It's actually 10,000 adults, not counting children. The Maasai people in Africa don't count children in their numbers. They only count adults. So what we have the opportunity to do is provide this village with a water well to provide them with fresh water to 10,000 adults, not including the children of those families, of those adults in this village. What an incredible opportunity for us as a community of Christ to rally together to demonstrate how we love all. And on Christmas Eve, on December 24th of this year, we can rally together and we can take the finances that God has blessed us with, look past ourselves and invest into the lives of these men and women because it's more than water. 
If you talk with them about this, it's more than water. People are coming to know Jesus because of these water wells that are being planted in their villages. Communities are coming together and being more as a community and a village than they were before. That is our opportunity to deny ourselves of our material possessions and quit indulging and saying that we need more, more, more when really we need less, less, less. And we can see lives changed for the kingdom of God. I've also discovered that loving all means to give Jesus inward permission. That word permission means to give consent or to give approval. So we've got to understand that in Genesis it says that God created man in his image. He created us. Even though that we all have different mothers and we all have different fathers and that we were born of them, that doesn't mean they were just the creators, but God was the creator. But see, here's the thing. We were created with a thing called free will. If you notice, Jesus doesn't come down, wrap you on the head and say, you must accept me into your heart. You must love me. He doesn't do that. Jesus wants voluntary lovers. So he wants us to volunteer ourselves over to him. And before Jesus can do an inward working within us, we have to give him consent. We have to give him permission. We have to say to him, I want you to be in my life. I want you to rule in my heart. I want you to rule in my mind. I want to give you everything. I want to give you the approval to come in here and change me. See, the changing of our inner hearts only comes by giving inward permission to Jesus Christ. And if we are to love all, it starts inwardly. It starts by giving Jesus permission that we're willing to extend now love to those that we don't like to be around. That we begin to extend love to those that don't make us feel safe. That we begin to extend love to those who are in deep need but we talk about and we hear about, but we don't associate with. Look with me at verse 18. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, get this, but with actions and in truth. Those two words, dear children, circle those on your outline. Those two words, dear children, is actually the picture of, of a spiritual father pleading with his spiritual kids for a heartfelt response for action. It's not a little, hey, by the way, guys, uh, when you get around to it, if it fits in your schedule, I was just wondering if you could go take care of this family in need. No, the picture of this in the Greek is that it's this spiritual papa crying out saying, listen, I need you to be motivated in your hearts and in your minds to go and do this physically because you are my children. See, Jesus is our spiritual papa. And when Papa Jesus comes to us, after we've given him inward permission, Papa Jesus comes to us and he pleads with us and says, I need you to follow up with action and with my truth. I don't need you to talk about it. I need you to come and do this now. And this is how you will demonstrate that you love all the way I love all. 
Because loving all requires more than idle talk and exalted theology. Loving all is a lifestyle of action. Bert and Linda, if you guys would join me up here. Loving all is a lifestyle of action. Meaning we're coming to the place in our lives as followers of Christ and the body of Christ where things are beginning to turn and God is telling us, you can't talk about it anymore. You must put it into action. And I asked Bert and Linda to come up here this morning to give us a little bit of what's going on in your lives and how you have discovered what Jesus loves in the heart of Erie. And I'm going to ask that you would share what's been going on because you've got to understand, let me set the stage. Bert and Linda spent a lot of time with the poor and with the lost and those who are in need. And so I, they, Jesus got a hold of their hearts in this area and has totally radically transformed them, basically, and they've given their time over to this. And so I'm going to ask that you would just share a quick few minutes of what's going on. Well, what we've been doing is uh, we've got involved with a collaboration of other churches, and it was a survey project, and we wrapped our name around it, Impact the City. So we've kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and, and, and really trying to reach the lost and disenfranchised. And it started with uh, the uh, Extreme Home Makeover Project. We weren't really involved with the house, but we were involved with the neighborhood on 21st Street. And uh, it's a rough neighborhood. Um, and each quarter since then, we've been going back into that neighborhood uh, to help the families uh, either take care of the, the landscaping or any of the things that we've done. Um, we've got to know Clara very well um, through the, the extended uh, work. And, uh, you know, you talk about the uncomfortableness. Um, I'll never forget the one Saturday we were going down there. Uh, Friday night there had been a shooting around the corner from where we were going. And there was also uh, one of the families that we've been walking with, um, the wife stabbed her husband, and uh, she was in. Uh, she was actually in prison that day. So, I, the, the the amazing thing that I shared on the bus ride down there was we just had a peace. We were protected. We had nothing to worry about. We were so protected. It was. I get goosebumps. It was just a. It was an overwhelming thing, and uh, some of the other things that uh, we've done. I'll let Linda explain it. They're small, but they're they're meaningful. I think the most important thing is um, what Pastor Jason said about when you give Jesus permission. Um, he changes your perspective. He changes what you think are your needs and wants um, and gives you a heart that breaks for others, um, for the disenfranchised, the lost, the poor, just like we talk about all the time. Um, but he gives you practical ways. He puts them before you in your everyday life and it's your choice whether you act on those or not. But they're simple. They don't take a lot of time. They don't take a lot of commitment. Our small group just met Friday night, and, you know, we usually play games and win prizes and give the kids gifts. And as I was going to wrap all these gifts, I felt so convicted that we don't need more stuff. You know, I'm wrapping stuff. And uh, our kids especially don't need any more stuff. So... Um, I talked to my husband, I talked to some of the parents and said, what if we wrap all these and I bring them to Clara tomorrow? Because we had planned on doing that anyway, and it was right in line with what Pastor Jack had been talking about and um, giving more. And it meant so much to give those to Clara. Um, 
not that it wouldn't have meant anything to our children. We hope that they're appreciative, but when they, I had them choose a gift that would have been special to them and then said, don't get attached to it because now you're going to wrap it and we're going to give it away. And they were excited. They came back to wrap another gift. And I think that meant more. And they got more excited about that than if they would have opened that, that small gift and played with it themselves. Um, so those kind of things are put before us. And I just want to share one other quick story. We wrapped, um, we made bags like we do here at the church, uh, food bags. We did that with Clara yesterday. Um, two hours of our time made such a big impact. So I can't stress enough that I know we all have busy lives, but it does not take much, and it makes a huge, huge difference. Um, they asked after we got all the bags packed with yams and hams and potatoes and onions and everything else if I would hand out the, the bags. And I, I was like, I, I didn't have any part in this up to this day. I, I didn't feel worthy of handing the people the bags, but they wanted me to do it, me and Jenna. So Jenna took their tickets and... Um, and they're just for organizational purposes. They don't pay for anything. And I handed the bags out, and I was saying, Merry Christmas, may God bless you. Can I have one of the kids carry the bag to your car? And as I'm saying this, not realizing at all, they're going, oh, no, 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 um, I'm good. And then Kayla goes, Mom, that, that girl said she's walking. It was like 16 degrees with a wind chill of one yesterday. And these, gr- these, these women were walking and they're walking back home with a bag of food. And we, I'm sure, all drove here today. So I guess that's all I want to say is um, God has just broken my heart for these people. And it doesn't take much, and it makes a huge impact. And you have no idea how God will work in your heart when you give him the permission to change your perspective of what's important. And, and thank God for your car on the way to church this morning, you know. Awesome. Thank you. You can just turn that off. Thank you, guys. First <clears throat> John 4, 9 says this. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. See, God could have talked up a real good superior talk. He could have kept telling people, through spokesmen all throughout the years saying, don't worry, guys, I'm going to send a son. Don't worry, I'm going to send somebody to deliver you. It's all good. Don't worry. Everything's coming. I just, give me a couple more years. I'm going to come through for you. No, he followed through. Jesus followed through. And he came down and he delivered us for eternity. Because when we give Jesus inward permission, he radically revolutionizes our hearts and cleans out the lukewarm areas. My challenge to us this morning as a body of Christ, and I include myself in this because I had to come to grips with this when I read this scripture. John tells us if we are not serving those who are in need, if we are not serving those in the body of Christ, and we are not serving those outside the community of faith, is God really living in our hearts? It's a hard question to ask because we can talk a really good talk about how we love Jesus 
and how great he is and how he delivers us and how he heals us and how he does these things. And we can tell everybody that if you get your life to Jesus, I tell you, things are going to be better. You're going to have eternity. Those are good things. But here's the question. John sums it all up and he says, listen, if you're not serving, if you're not taking care of those who are in need, then do you really have the love of God in your heart? We may have Jesus in our hearts, but does that mean that we're allowing him inward permission so that we can be revolutionized to love others to the degree that he has called us to love? Loving all means we live out the difference. You know, I realize that when it comes to loving and giving, the reality is we only give what's required of us. A lot of times we don't give beyond what's required. We don't stretch out beyond that. I'm still fascinated. I've been reading Genesis a little bit, and in Genesis 1, it tells us that we were created in God's image, which means we were created in love. We were created by love, and we were created to love. Means we are created in his likeness. We are created in his characteristics to be like him with his qualities. So the question is if we were made in love and we were made to love and we were made by love, where is our love? The world around us, outside the community of faith, is caught on to taking care of those who are in need. One of those people is, you might have heard of her, Oprah. Oprah's done some amazing things. One woman, yes, she has a lot of money, but she's done some amazing things. Started a school in Africa for kids. She gives out hundreds upon hundreds and probably thousands of gifts a year to people who are in need, as well as just out of generosity gives to people that come to her show. She gives out her favorite things that she likes. She's done a lot to change a lot of lives with people. (laughs) But she doesn't openly declare her love for God. So what's the difference between us and Oprah? We got Jesus. I think we got it down. Yeah, we got Jesus. I think we got it. We got it down real good. We love God. We can tell you we love God. We can tell you how to love God. We can tell you where to go to love God. We got that down. The funny thing is, is both of us are missing something. We're missing the demonstration and the acting out. And she's missing something else. What's the difference between those who are doing things right now in our world around us, building houses in the name of good, taking care of those who are hurting and lost in the name of good? When will the body of Christ rise up in the name of Christ? and demonstrate in the name of love. The truth is, we should have been doing it from the beginning. I've realized that our love has become safe. We love and we give to those who we know will love us back. 
who we know will give us appreciation for loving them. One thing about Christ that I'm totally blown away with continuously is that he took chances. And you say, but yeah, he's Jesus. He knows everything. Yeah, but he was also human in form. He took chances. He took chances at loving people that wouldn't love him back. He took chances at giving life to people that wouldn't give life back or appreciate it. He jumped at the opportunity. He didn't hesitate to give love to those that wouldn't return it. And I think about how safe my love is. I think about how safe I am that it's easy for me to love somebody who will love me back knowing that they're going to love me back. I'm comfortable with that. And I'm comfortable with giving to people that I know who are in need because I know they're going to appreciate it. But I had to come with the grips of the last time that I really extended love and I really gave and that it was unsafe that it was radical, that it was edgy. If we have been created in love, by love, to love, then let's jump at the chance to live love and give where it won't be appreciated or returned. Living out the difference is loving and giving more than just our leftovers. The most radical part about the story of Jesus is that he died for all of us on the cross. The problem is, is that most of us have heard the story before over and over. And like love, it's lost its meaning. We've lost our understanding of the cross. Like love, we've forgotten the meaning of why Christ died. For some of us, we know the story so well. It's just a good story. It's such a good story that it's lost its power, that it's lost its life in some of our lives. The motivation of the cross no longer exists in our hearts and in our minds because we're motivated by other things. I want to finish the story that I was telling you about because I want to refresh your memory of the radical lifestyle that Jesus lived that was more than a story. Because we can say that this is the Christmas season and we're going to focus on the major, we're going to focus on the birth of Christ. Oh, wait, and we'll save the resurrection and the crucifixion for Easter. That's when we'll bring that up. It doesn't work like that. You can't have one without the other. You can't talk about the birth of Christ without the death and the resurrection of Christ. So let me tell you this, finish this radical story for you. I left off where he was doing these amazing things. The radical part about it was, is not everybody loved him. But he chose to love all. Not everyone believed him, but he chose to believe in them. 
He chose to believe in us. He chose to believe in your employer. He chose to believe in your uncle. He chose to believe in your son or your daughter. He chose to believe in you. It's just a story though. It gets a little more radical. Jesus came with a mission in his mind and in his heart that no one could deter him from completing. It says in the Gospels that he was hung on a cross, that his hands and his feet were nailed with spikes, that he wore a crown of thorns. It says that he was beaten and he was bruised. He was stabbed with a spear. It says that he hung basically naked on a cross, public humility because it wasn't a private viewing. He was mocked. Things like, hey, Jesus, why don't you come down off the cross and save yourself and save everyone else? Words like, are you the Christ? Prophesy to us, who hit you, O great one? I have never heard of a more radical story in the 32 years that I have been alive. For some of you, you have never heard a more radical story that has the power to change your life. The cross of Christ, the birth of the Messiah, is our motivation to love all. It's not about just this season. It's about every day. It's about us grasping the importance of loving all continuously. No matter how much we've been betrayed, no matter how much we've been hurt, no matter how much we've suffered injustice, we're called to love all through the cross. gets a little more radical. The word of God says that he died. He gave up his spirit. He ended it. I believe at that moment, Satan probably thought that he won. It was done. He took care of Jesus. It was over. But the word of God tells us that in three days, three days later, he rose from the grave And it says that he will return for us. That's pretty radical. That is what we call radical self-denial of loving all. I want you to stand with me. I want to put a thought in your head to remember not just through this week. But I want to put a thought in your head 
that I want you to think about until the day you die. We have been given permission by Christ to love all because he did it first. And so when you hesitate, when you are motivated out of anger, when you are upset, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, relinquish your rights because Jesus relinquished his at the cross and love all. It is a lifestyle, not a seasonal thing. So let's go do it. Father God, we're so thankful for the cross of Christ. And yes, God, Father, we thank you for the birth of Jesus the physical manifestation of the Son of God here with us in this earth. And Father, during this season, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but Father, let us also celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus tied to his birth. Let it be at the forefront of our minds, God, the reminder that we are called to love all because of Christ. Father, break us of our traditional mindsets of thinking that because it is the season, this is what we do. It's not because of the season. It's because of what has been done since the beginning of time. I ask God that you motivate our hearts. You renew our minds. Refreshen us with a new passion and a new focus that does not move to the right or to the left, but remains with our eyes centered on Christ so that we can love all through Jesus. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.